Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. For those of you who work in churches or even worked in churches, but have seen people there that turned and turned away from the Lord and turned away from their responsibilities in a church, and you often wonder where they saved in the first place, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Nicholas, a proselyte who was chosen with the seven in Acts chapter six and find out whatever happened to him because he's a great example of I never knew you. Let's go to the word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I want you to open to Acts chapter 6 with me today. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses of Scripture. And I'm teaching out of my series called The Seven Churches. And so Nicholas, who is in this particular story, becomes one of the major... uh, I'd say actors of the book of Revelation. So again, in the opening chapters, one, two, and three, we deal with the seven churches there and Nicholas is brought up there. So again, I'd like you to have a copy of this and the announcer will come on at halftime and tell you how you can have a copy just for yourself. Acts chapter six, we're gonna take a look at verses five and six. And I trust you found it by now. Let me give you a little background on this. I use this quite often. Uh, for those of you that are pastors out there, perhaps you've got a department in the church and, and you look for the best people you can find. Of course, the first thing you wanna know is, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Because we don't want a sinner working in this position, but you, if they're not, then give them an opportunity to get saved. You may not wanna bring them on staff that quick, but again, they could be somebody down the road you could look at. But again, we need to make sure for First of all, they are saved. And then we look at their qualifications and we look at their love and we look at their faithfulness to operate in the church. These are all these things. And these men met all of the qualifications except for Nicholas. But at the time they chose him, they did not know. It took Luke writing the book of Acts later to inform them of something that after the fact they had seen or the Holy Spirit just revealed to him at that time, this particular one was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the background of this one. Uh, the church is growing rapidly uh, from the time in chapter one where the church started Actually, you know, Jesus announced it, but in chapter two, it started with the outpouring of the Spirit. And uh, we are told there from that time on that uh, the 120 came down from the upper room. Peter preached a sermon. 3,000 were added to them that day. Later on in chapter four, we are told that with the healing of the man at the gate, beautiful, the miracle, uh, because of him, over 5,000 were added to the Lord. So by that time, we're looking at a minimum of 8,120 people. But of course, it had grown much since then. We're not told that by the time we come to chapter six, eh, it just says that they were multiplying so fast you couldn't keep track of them. So the church was growing rapidly and so problems began to arise. And the things that the ministers of the church usually looked over became so uh, time consuming with the amount of work they had to put into talking to people, uh, studying the word of God, praying for the congregation. They chose other men to do that. What did they look for? They looked for faithful men. In Acts chapter six, they had the whole uh, congregation. What they did was the congregation came and said, man, we're getting behind on the the taking care of the uh, widows of the church. You need to help us. They said, it's not gonna be for us. You go find seven men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and bring them to us and let, uh, and then we, and you choose Bring the, choose seven out of the entire congregation, bring them to us. We will take a look at them. We'll pray over them. If we say it's okay, then they will be put in there. And here's what happened in verses five and six. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Okay, we'll go look for some. You're, you're, you're asking us. We know some good ones around here. That's why they said you go look for them because we don't know. And they chose Stephen, a man full of 
faith and of the Holy Spirit in Philip. They occupy the next two chapters. Stephen occupies the end of this chapter, chapter seven, and he had a teaching ministry, but they began by helping widows in the church. The next one was Philip. He became the first evangelist. He fulfills chapter eight, takes the gospel to Samaria, and a great revival breaks out in Samaria. And we find out they started out by just working, grunt work in the church, taking care of widows, things like that. Then the next one was called Prochorus. Then Nicanor, we don't hear much about these anymore. In fact, the names don't appear anymore. Timon, Parmenas, history tells us a few things about them. But notice this next one, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, mentioned last, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Notice the, the seven men passed the test of the entire congregation running around looking for it and bringing them together. When they brought them together, they said, oh yeah, Philip's great. Oh yeah, Stephen, man, Nicanor, we love him. And right down to Nicholas, yes, we love Nicholas. And they brought them in before them. Then the pastoral group that was over the church prayed for them. And they didn't find anything wrong with them and they laid hands on them and they began to work in the church. But Nicholas is the only one of the group that was called a proselyte. The Greek word proselyte means one who comes near. It's from the verb pros ekomai, to come near, and it means this one is a noun, one who does come near. It's translated stranger in some parts of the word of God, and as a Christian, it simply means here this verse of scripture that we have become born again, but there are those around us who are not born again, not members of God's family, and yet they come to church, they're around us all the time, and we think by their actions that they are born again. The Bible tells us when we stand before the Lord one day, one's gonna stand before him, and Jesus is gonna say to him, he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. What they said was we healed, we prayed for people, we cast out devils, didn't we cast out devils in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Why is that important? You say, but look at all those things. How could they not be a Christian and do those things? Because you don't be a Christian by works. They never mentioned, we put our faith and trust in you. We accepted you as our savior. We accepted you as our Lord. And we begin to prove it by these outward works we have done of the faith that was in our heart. No, they just did it. And so, they were not truly born again. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Think about this. You have Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And what a proselyte means is simply one that who has come in, accepted the, what he has seen around him, but never accepted the Lord. We're addressed in this also because religions do this. Jesus addressed this when he talked to the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. And when when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are yourself. This is not a believer. This is simply a Gentile acting like a Jew, dressing like a Jew, acting like a Jew, taking on the religion, doing all the religious things, but they never know the Lord. And Jesus said, woe to you blind guides. He said, you are blind guides because you lead these people. And he said, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are yourself. In other words, you talk about somebody that's even worse than a sinner. And this is a person that they have actually brought in and they've taught how to be a Jew, but they've never taught them how to be a believer in the Lord. Reaction to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost was this in Acts chapter two, verses seven through 10, when they were all amazed and marveled. And this is when all the people came down from the upper room speaking with tongues and said, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. And these proselytes were those that had accepted Judaism without accepting the Lord, but now they'd accepted the Lord. These were true proselytes that had joined the religion, but now as true proselytes, they now became true Christians. But not so here in this opening statement here, in this opening verse of scripture that we had when we we're talking here about Nicholas. Nicholas was called a proselyte, but he was came in acting like a Christian, being coming part of the church, but never accepted the Lord as his savior. And so he again identified as a proselyte, but that's because in writing this book, Luke says he was a proselyte. Again, the Holy Spirit was revealing this to him, something that wasn't seen at that time. But the question comes around, yeah, but why? Why would God let him in the church? I question and come back to you. I've told about ministers at the beginning of this broadcast, those who work in a church. And it could be one day you're going to find out that many that were around you that looked so faithful and talked the right talk and did the right things actually never accepted the Lord as Savior. And you wonder, how could I have been so dumb? Or why didn't the Holy Spirit tell me? Well, let me ask you this. Why did Jesus allow a man in, one of the 12 disciples, and this man didn't know the Lord at all? Judas why would he allow him to come in there? It's because Judas would have an opportunity working close to them to see the signs, wonders, and miracles, hear the sermons of Jesus and accept him. But you know what? Judas never did. Hearing the sermons, seeing what he saw, you don't get saved by seeing these things and hearing these things. They might convict you. And he did get convicted. I mean, at the end, he was so convicted, but he still never accepted the Lord. He ran from the Lord and actually hung himself at the end. But here we have a man that even the disciples thought was a believer. And this is probably what happened in the beginning beginning with Nicholas. Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And we're going to find out later that he turned completely away from the Lord and actually tried to sow deception into the churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3 that are mentioned there. Let me give you some sermons, other sermons too. Paul's sermon at the synagogue in Antioch, when he was ministering there in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13 says in verse 42 and verse 43, when the Jews left the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these word might be preached to the next Sabbath. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul. Notice this, they followed Paul. Who followed Paul? Jews and devout proselytes to Judaism because none of them had accepted Jesus, but they could, when they heard Paul speak, they were blown away. They were so convicted in their heart and they chased him. And it says, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking with them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So they were led to the Lord, but now they were told to become disciples in the Lord and follow after the Lord by following after the word. It's possible to be involved in a church, even in ministry and not be saved, but gain a position as a proselyte. Again, the verse I mentioned to you earlier was in Matthew chapter seven, verse 22 and verse 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonderful works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's translated iniquity. In other translations, you who practice iniquity. So notice this, they were not only filled with iniquity, they practiced it, but they also disguised themselves in the church. The reason why I bring this up is because ministers, listen, when you stand in heaven and see some of these people 
that will be there at the great white throne judgment. And you say, well, wait, he was one of my deacons of my church. He did this and that. And we assume because they come to church, they're saved. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by coming to church. You're saved by opening up your heart and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this was something that, again, in this passage of scripture that happened, and it was among seven that were chosen from the congregation. And we have here uh, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch that really never accepted the Lord and passed all the tests, but later on departed and turned. I'm sure that then the church I had, which I just considered to be one of the best churches ever. Well, I'm going to say it, it was the best church ever. Okay, I know the Lord will straighten me out when I get to heaven. And perhaps you're going to write into me and tell me, no, we have the best church. Well, just leave, listen, if, if I'm being dumb and I'm just being duped, leave me there. But again, I look back on that and I think, you know what? I, I still get blown away by what some of the things the, the uh, staff members did. And were they really born again at all? I don't know. May not know until I get to heaven. But the point of it is, I still gave them a great opportunity to accept the Lord, not knowing I did. Accept the Lord, become a believer, and then eventually become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We'll discuss more of this when we come back from the break. See you right after halftime. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus addresses the seven churches which made up the Christian world. Join Bob Yandian as he explores in detail each of the seven churches addressed and explains how God's messages to those churches are still relevant to us today, not only in the local church, but also in our individual lives. Messages include, Jesus comes to church, Ephesus, a church filled with good works, Smyrna, no money, but rich, Pergamos, where does Satan sit? Thyatira, who is Jezebel? Sardis, the books of God. Philadelphia, what it takes to open a door. And Laodicea, what makes God throw up. To order the seven churches, go to bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on partnership. I want to read that verse of scripture to you again. And I listen, I want to write, I want to read this again. 
as a ministry to those of you who are ministers out there or those of you who had uh, maybe a position in the church and found out later that people turned on you, turned on the church, seemingly turned on the Lord. And you think, well, maybe they were a carnal believer because you believed at the time they were truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They said the right things, did the right things. They could, they could talk the talk and even kind of walk the walk, but really inside, they never accepted the Lord as Savior. And I simply want you to understand this happened. David had one of his best friends turn against him. How many do we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament had actually had those who turned and again committed great things against their leaders and the leaders thought they were believers in the Lord. Maybe they were, maybe they were carnal, but we also come back to this, maybe they were just a proselyte. Maybe they came in saying the right things and doing the right things, but never received the Lord. And the verse of scripture again is Matthew chapter seven. I'm gonna read it again, 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, this is Jesus talking. And listen, you're not Jesus, but notice this. He even had people following him like Judas that never accepted him as their savior. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity or lawlessness. What I'm saying this verse of scripture is, is Jesus said, I never knew you. And it's possible again to have these as close to you. And notice again, I notice what people say. They often say this, well, how could they prophesy and how could they cast out demons and do many wonderful works in the name of Jesus and not be saved? Because all they quoted was their works were not saved by works. And it is possible for a sinner to be around and learn how to cast out devils, but not really, they're not really casting out devils. I'm thinking of the seven sons of Sceva who cast out a devil in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached. Notice again, we're identifying with Paul, but we're not identifying with this Jesus guy. And the moment they said that, the demon turned on them and attacked them. And up until that time, everybody in the city thought they were devout followers of God. And when this happened, they found out they'd been deceived all that time and great revival hit that city. People came and burned their books in the streets, books on witchcraft and demon things. Anyway, they, they burned their books and great revival hit that city even greater than it had before. And so again, Jesus said, I'll declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice iniquity. And part of practicing iniquity is to portray a moral front, even a religious front, even a Christian front, but they're really not. Jesus had Judas. And again, you may be surprised in eternity not to see certain congregational members, volunteers, even possibly staff. I've attended ministers' conferences where one where some got saved. Again, this is a great story. I was at a ministers' conference a number of years ago, and of course, I assumed everybody there was of the particular faith we were, charismatic, Pentecostal background, or you know, they were came out of denominations and got filled with the Holy Spirit. They came out of denominations where they were already saved, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what I was used to, and so we had a we had a meeting and the guy that was the host of the meeting at the end of his sermon stopped and said, you know what? I'm gonna give an invitation. If there's any ministers here who've never accepted Jesus as Savior, you could heard a gasp. I mean, it's like everybody went, you know, what and what are you doing? Of course we're saved. And you know what? Seven ministers came down and received Jesus as Savior. There were hundreds that were there, but seven received Jesus. You could have heard a pin drop in there as these ministers 
confess Jesus as their Savior. When questioned later as to why they were ministers, they said, we just chose it as an occupation. We were in college, we were in university, we saw a minister on there, and we saw the benefits, and we saw the working hours, and we saw this retirement plan, and we just decided we would be one. So we studied theology, we did all these things, and we opened up a church, and we don't, but you know what? They never accepted Jesus. It wasn't until they got in a church service that talked about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and reading from the scripture that they became convicted by the Holy Spirit, came down and got saved. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's when this sermon about, uh, when we're studying here, this is the sermon again about Nicholas that so grabbed me is it's possible to have people working around you and you just assume some minister knows Jesus as Savior, but they do not. And again, some in the word of God who were in churches and working there were carnal Christians. And Paul warned about them in Acts chapter 20. He said, out of your own midst shall men arise teaching twisted or perverted things. They were truly believers, but they tried to do it. He said, to draw disciples after themselves. They wanted to build their own congregation, but they didn't want to do it right. They wanted to take people from this congregation into this congregation. Some might've been carnal Christians and carnal Christians truly were Christians, but the others were wolves in sheep's clothing. So they were the proselytes that Jesus here is referring to. And they are the proselyte that we found here in Acts chapter six. First John chapter two in verse 19 says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And he simply said, the longer they went on, finally at the end, it was proven they were not part of us. And John is speaking here in this particular verse. Whatever happened to Nicholas? He began the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was a resurrection of the doctrine of Balaam. Revelation chapter two and verse six, speaking to the church at Ephesus said, but this I have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The church at Ephesus was probably one of the finest churches there. A few things were wrong, such as he said later they left their first love, but probably the least amount of things wrong with the church happened to the church at Ephesus. He said this, you guys had some discernment about you. And you knew about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Revelation chapter two, verses 14 and 15, jumping on down, speaks about the church at Pergamos. And he says, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality, thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. He compared the doctrine here. Uh, John did in the book of Revelation, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to the church at Pergamos and of the doctrine of Balaam. And what he said was the doctrine of Balaam has just been re resurrected into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Let me tell you something here. Balaam was a believer. He was a carnal believer. He was a prophet and a true prophet, but he got twisted by the love of money. And King Balak offered him millions of dollars to curse the nation of Israel and to look down there in that valley where they were and to curse them where they were. And he said, I can't do that. What God has blessed, he said, I can't curse. And so he offered him a few million dollars and Balaam thought, well, okay, I'll try this. And so Balaam went up to a mountain, thought God couldn't see him up there and tried to curse him. But when he opened up his mouth, all that came out was blessing, blessing, blessing. Balaam was truly a believer, but a carnal believer. He was just after money. And he would even turn against the nation of Israel just to get the money. Came back down and told Balak the king, he said, I can't do it. I tried, it won't work. Balak said, look, I'll give you more money. And so he probably, I don't know, doubled it, whatever. So probably Balaam could make a couple of million dollars here. The government was paying him anyway. 
So he decided, okay, I'll go up a different mountain this time. So he tried to go up a different mountain. And this time when he got to the top, he tried and the same thing happened. He tried to curse Israel and all that came out was blessing, blessing, blessing. And so he went back down to the third time. I mean, he was offered so much money. He said, okay, I'll try it a third time. And of course, this is when his donkey tried to stop him and get him not to go up there. But Balaam went to the top of that mountain, opened up his mouth and tried to force a curse to come out. And he began to prophesy over the nation of Israel and prophesied all the way till the second coming of Jesus Christ and talked about the coming kingdom and their rulership in the earth. He talked about their future and it became such an important thing. We actually have part of scripture given to us about Balaam and it came from a carnal prophet prophesying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Balaam was truly a believer. But finally, when he came back after the third time, he said, I just can't do it. He said, but I've thought of an idea. He said, if I send in prostitutes, if you'll send in prostitutes in there, we can corrupt them from the inside because that's a sin in their sight. Balak said, what? It's a sin. Balak was part of this whole system, the whole cult in that day, worshiping Baal. And Baal worship included prostitution. To him, prostitution was nothing. It was just sex with a woman. But he said, you're kidding me. That's all it's going to take? He said, yeah, that's all it's going to take. So he sent in their prostitutes in and it corrupted them from the inside. And God had to send and literally hundreds and hundreds of them died, the men of the camp, until they finally cleansed the camp. And of course, that's when it ended right there. Guess who brought that over to the New Testament? And that's in the New Testament we have here again. Nicholas. Nicholas came up with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and brought the same thing back and started this whole thing over again and was one that helped corrupt the church there at that time. And the church in the book of Revelation was the church of Pergamos. And he said that you have sacrificed to idols, committed sexual immorality. You have those of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is the doctrine of Balaam. So again, he resurrected that and brought it in. And this is what we find in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam. That is a carnal believer, the son of Beor, who loved the wages or the money of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Where Nicholas was an unbeliever, Balaam was a carnal prophet, a believer. Balaam failed three times from three mountains to curse Israel externally, but could only end up blessing them. Balaam finally convinced Balak to send in prostitutes of Baal to corrupt Israel internally from the inside. And Balak did not believe prostitutes could even corrupt them. Numbers chapter 31 and verse 16 says this, Moses, the one who said this, look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. What is the teaching of Nicholas and what does it mean to us? Because God knew, why didn't he stop the choice of Nicholas? Why did Jesus pick Judas knowing before he was an unbeliever? God doesn't hold somebody accountable today for what they're going to do in the future. God doesn't hold church leaders accountable today for not knowing ahead of time that someone would turn on them. The Jerusalem leaders trusted the choice of the people and were not warned even when they prayed over the seven. In other words, what still happens is they were given a chance by God. Being around those of the church 
being around those that worship God, truly worship God, were truly born again, and to honestly see true signs and wonders happen, and yet they still rejected the Lord as Savior. And this is what happened with Nicholas. And so we find Paul's disappointment in the ministry over the very same thing. And we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 16 here in verse 11, Paul said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful for me in the ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I've left in Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him for he greatly resisted our words. He mentioned people that deserted him and Paul looked back on, but you know what? He put his trust in them and they turned on him. It's gonna happen in life, but keep your trust in God because God will work everything out at the end. I trust you've been blessed. I'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.